Hello, bold and conscious leader. Welcome to our new and refreshed 2022 season of the Bold Conscious Connections podcast, where we bring to you people who have shown special courage, character, and consistency to express themselves fully. After all, as long as we're alive, we want to live a full life, don't we? So our guests that we bring demonstrate that they do not want to die with their gifts because we're all meant to be given gifts that we share with others. And this is how we play our part in raising our collective consciousness in this world through this podcast called Bold Conscious Connections. So without further ado, let me bring on our guest today. I love podcasts largely because when I bring guests on, sometimes you just don't know where the conversation is going to go. So while you bring them on for one purpose or with one intention, it leads in a different direction. And then there are so many more insights about who they really are, what they believe in, what they stand for, and the lives that they've led to come to where they are today and all that they've learned today. And they can share that with us. So I was so honored to have this conversation with Anupi Singla, who I thought I was interviewing for her latest book, called Instant Pot Indian, which has to do with Indian cooking that she wants to bring as, you know, with her sensibilities and where she grew up and what she learned from her grandfather about Indian cooking and making it accessible to Americans and others in the U.S. at large. Anupi was born in India. She came here at a very young age, was raised outside Philadelphia, but she grew up visiting her grandfather's village in the heart of the Punjab, which is in India. And it was from him that she received her first spice lesson. So while I really brought her in to talk about her book, you will, if you listen to this conversation carefully, it's such a great story about an immigrant, all that she went through, the lives that she lived in Chicago or outside of Chicago or in Philadelphia. And it's just a lot of deep work as she talks about. So listen to this. There's so many more, so many insights into this. Her passion for spice and authentic Indian ingredients is what led her to leave her job as a television journalist. And, you know, recipe test every single day or week to, to feed her children. Anyway, I don't want to spoil it for you. I just want you to listen to this beautiful conversation that I had with Anubi. So let me now stand in the way of you and this conversation. Thank you so much. I'm so delighted to welcome my friend Anupi Singla. I was introduced to Anupi because of my own passion for f food and cooking, being I do some private chefing work. And when I moved down to South Carolina, where I met somebody and they started talking about you, uh, Anupi, so welcome to the show. And you, on the other hand, are a pro. I'm just a guy that does these things. But you, you've uh, not only brought brought your cooking sensibility to the American uh, population and palate, I'm sure we're going to talk more about that. And you're an author of multiple books and all of who you are will be in the show notes. But I would love to first welcome you and wanted to ask you, first of all, to say, hey, what can you tell your listeners about who Anupi really is or how do you describe to others who you are? Thank you so much for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. And uh, I really love the intro the one word that really kind of made my 
heart burst was just friend. I mean, we haven't known each other very long, but I just appreciate that you called me a friend. So thank you for that. And um, who am I? I think that um, it's an interesting question. I didn't expect you to ask me that right off the top. So maybe I'm not completely prepared for it. But I, I will go back to, you know, my name because it's not a common name in the U.S. It's not a common name in India either. It comes from Anupam and it ended up being Anupi because my mother had a friend named Nupi and so she just called me that. So I always have confusion in the Indian community, in the Western community. And so... I always say it's it really truly the the source of Anupam and the meaning is uh, one of a kind spirit and I hope that's what people find me to be um, when they meet me in the sense that I'm always trying to do better but I hope that I always leave becoming a friend of the person that I've met and that's kind of my goal. One friend also said to me, "Some people collect art, I collect people because I really love people." At the end of the day. Oh, that's so beautiful. You know, I've heard this before too, but I, not in the way you describe it. Yes, I think it's whatever we express ourselves, I think it just comes down to, you know, why you do what you do, right? So that's great that you love people. So tell us tell us a little bit about where your journey began and, and what is it that I know you're a journalist. And again, as I said, we'll describe more of that about what you do. And, you know, people always ask, what do you really do? And I always ask, what is taking your focus today? What is it? Where, where are your energies? Where are you? What's your focus? And where is your mission? Hey. And it's interesting when you asked me to speak with you, I just was wondering, is this the right time for me to speak with you? Because I think so many folks come on and guests come on that have really maybe, you know, just done amazing things and really feel like they've achieved X, Y, Z. And they're just at this point, I feel like I'm really just in the midst of this journey. And so I feel a little bit, you know, awkward um, to be giving advice to anybody or really be speaking about my journey yet, because I feel like I'm not quite where... I want to be, but at the same time, I really think that there's so much value in speaking to folks from the middle of where you're headed, uh, though we're always on a journey and I'm not discounting that, but I think that too often we focus on the end goal and what folks have achieved versus on um, focusing on the journey and the struggle to get them there. So often, especially in our community of Indian community, South Asian community, it's about what have you achieved? What school have you gone to? Who do you have your degree from? What are you? What are your initials after your name? What have you achieved? And for me, it really is, to me, I, I find value in speaking to people and, and talking to them about their struggle and their process. So what I've really been doing quite a bit on my social media pages of late is being honest that um, I'm not quite where I want to be um, in my career in terms of who I am. And I really am every day kind of stacking those bricks one by one to create where I want to go. Now we can say, sure, I've got cookbooks and I've had you know a good level of success, but it's not where I envision it to go yet. Um, I, I would say that my story kind of starts in a classroom in Pennsylvania in college where I failed organic chemistry. And um, so many of us in our community talk about this. Oh, well, I was supposed to be a doctor. I was supposed to be an engineer. I was supposed to be XYZ, or I was. And then I transitioned to 
a creative career. For me, that failure of organic chemistry was so monumental and so difficult because it started this conversation of where is my interest and where are my skills? My skills are in writing. My skills are in putting sentences together. My skills are in thinking deeply between the lines and engaging, you know, folks around me in deeper discussions. And so that led, and I always say I'm kind of a, you know, I, I feel like I have so many different experiences that maybe I'm a jack of all trades where I ended up working on Capitol Hill. That was my first job out of college. I mm -hmm. went to Washington, D.C. That was before the wave of Indians and South Asians came to D.C. And it's kind of a forgotten wave now, but that was in the early 90s mm -hmm. and nobody you knew was working on Capitol Hill. And so there was a lot of discussion in the house of how can you pay your bills? What is this? And this is why I really encourage our Desi parents to think outside of the lines. You can only really push your kids into something that you understand, right? I mean, that you have experienced. We have not experienced that as much in our, at our ages. The younger gen is a little different. So ironically, when my kids started to look at college and careers, I said what I knew. I said, don't you want to be a writer? Don't you want to be an artist? And they said, no, we want to be a doctor and we want to be an engineer. So it's well, it's a lot of stereotyping, right? So, uh, you know, it's not unfortunate or fortunate. It's just how, you know, our parents brought us up in our generation. And then we all came here. I came here in the late 70s, early 80s. And it was it was like, okay, well, doctor engineer or, you know, maybe a CPA or something, but but never anything else, nothing creative. So, yeah, to your point, like it, it's like we, we don't, you know, our tradition doesn't allow you to tap into who you really are because that's that. And then you you live a lifetime or you're in your 40s and 50s and you go, wow, well, what, what have I done? And, you know, do, did I do that? one thing that that I'm so good at. And so I, I love how you describe that because it is a journey because it's it's the pursuit of the journey that matters. It's nothing else. You know, we all think that once it's like one and done, you went to college and you did this and now you're now you've arrived. No, that's when life is just beginning. And it's it's always a beginning every single day, isn't it? So you know most of my listeners, the ones that tend to listen to this podcast are really they tend to be either business folks, entrepreneurs, maybe C-level folks and companies who are in some kind of transition. I think we all are in transition at some point all the time, but like at the cusp of something different that they could express themselves because they've spent a life, they were mid, they're midlife, sort of like there is a crisis and there isn't necessarily a crisis, but that's how we all tend to describe it. So what makes us focus on today? Typically, it's what, what whatever the journey has been so far and the, the, the turning points and the pivots and the challenges in your life. Can you talk to some of those turning points? What, allow, what allowed you to first or actually made you who you are and then the obstacles that you had to overcome and what you learned from it? Yeah, I mean, I think that one point for me has always been just even coming to this country. So I came when I was three and we lived in a small town outside of uh, Philadelphia in Pennsylvania called Pottstown. And I just remember, hmm. well, some may say, well, how could you have so many memories at three? Right. And my memory was of all of the uh, comfort of family at home because my mother comes from a family of 12 siblings. My father comes from a family of five. And so we had a lot of cousins. We just had a lot of warmth and support. And what a lot of folks, when they think about the image, 
immigrant experience don't realize is when you leave all of that, there is such a deep loneliness that sets in mm -hmm. because you just don't have that um, support base anymore. It's not a, you know, a support base of people who are your family that you trust to a certain degree or it, you have to reinvent all of it. And so that was a very lonely period of time. And so, you know, as we grew older, you know, my parents both had to work. And so we didn't have the luxury of one person staying at home and taking care of the kids. And what that ended up doing was it stacked, right? So I would come home. I was a typical latchkey kid in the 80s growing up mm. in Pennsylvania, letting myself in, watching way too much television, um, not doing my homework, you know, but still being a great, you know, a really good student. But my point is there's a level of loneliness to that. And mm. for kids, yeah. I really truly believe it's not about uh, quantity. It's about, it, it's not about quality. It's about quantity. It's about how many is someone around all the time. You may not even engage with them on a minute by minute basis, but is there someone there? And so that was kind of my focus when I had kids because my husband is a consultant. He travels and I know you understand this Monday through Friday, essentially for 20, 25 years, never home. I'm a single mom and I was during the week for so long. And when I transitioned from, you know, uh, politics to reporting and I, my girls were young, the thought came to mind, you know, who is going to be at home now, if we had an option and somebody was that was family and was able to do that, I'd say, okay, I'm going to continue to be a reporter. But because that wasn't there, I just had to kind of pull back and say, I know how that felt to walk into an empty house with the key and hear that turn. Mm. And no, there was no snack on the table because I was doing that for myself and for my brother. And while that's what we had to go through, I just personally, and it makes me feel very sad now thinking about it, but just, I just wasn't going to do that for my kids. I had an option to not. Hmm. So I had to just take a step back and say, instead of working outside the home, I want to make it work inside the home. And I want to write this cookbook that I've had this idea of about. I am a writer. I'm a professional writer. I should be able to pitch it and make it work. And so I did. And then also what I did along with it was I wrote a blog and that blog was really experimenting with every Indian recipe I grew up with that I loved because food was so important in our family. And um, if I feed my kids Indian food every day, will they at the ages of four and two want to eat more Indian food? It was kind of a human experiment, a little tiny human experiment that I just started. And I will say that I was, you know, the rewards come as a parent sometimes 15, 20 years later, <laughs> right away on a day-to-day -day basis. And my one daughter said, she said, you know, she said, I'm so grateful that you, and she said to me, she literally said this. She said, I'm so grateful that you gave up your reporting career to be at home with me and really appreciate it because it meant everything. And wow, like that to me is, it's not something that other people will look at and say, you know, wow, you made a difference. But in my family, because we made, my husband and I made a choice that our kids' well-being would be at the forefront. And as many families do. It's not just by quitting work that you do that, right? I'm not trying to say that. I'm just saying that was our path. We, I had to, I felt that I had to do that because I had no other options. As a morning reporter, you're up at three in the morning, your husband's gone, what do you do during the week? So that was my path and my journey. And I'm glad that I did that. I gave up a lot professionally and, uh, and I pivoted 
and I made it into something that could work with our schedule. It's still crazy. Some days I'm not here, but that's okay because I've set a really good foundation for, for my kids, I think. Well, I got goosebumps when you say, you know, when that key turns and, you know, somebody's at home, hi, you know, uh, somebody's home. So you, you feel that connection and I haven't experienced that. So it's got to be hard growing up that sometimes it's just too lonely. And I had the chance of blessing of growing up and having mom around. She always had something. So I think I just feel like Oof, maybe we didn't do that for, for my, you know, our children here that much. But yes, talk to me because we talked the other day about women and female entrepreneurship and the struggles that they, that they go through. I think I'm mentioned to you that me as a single parent discovered, you know, what it is like to, to have two little kids at home and particularly boys who are always hungry. And, you know, which is why I had to like start really perfecting this art of efficient cooking on the table. There's a lot of food because these growing boys are just simply, you know, all they think of is food. And then with recently with COVID, it was just like constant, right? It was just like, you know, we had to have like 24 seven supply of food all the time, cooked food. So that's what got me into feeling some of our women entrepreneurs probably listening is, you know, what is it? What a, what a newfound for me, a discovery was that how do single women in particular married too, but you know, married basically, as you said, with your husband being busy, it's like you being almost single. I had a newfound respect for that. But so talk a little bit about, you know, some of that. I mean, you've touched on it, but a little bit, what does it feel like giving up? Not giving up because you have, you've pivoted into a different entrepreneurship and a career. So how did that happen? And how do you feel about that? Yeah. I mean, I, I think too, it's really important to acknowledge that the Asian and the Indian community, especially in terms of our connection with food, but also connecting women with food in the house is really deep. Mm. So honestly, I'll have to speak with you at, at some point because I think you'll be able to share a different perspective when you have to be the person who's kind of carrying that load for your family and you're, you're not the mom, you're not mm -hmm. the female in the house. Not to say that the gender has to be distinguished in this. There's many dads and um, fathers that do it brilliantly as well, but there's such an association with mom in an Indian Desi household, just carrying that load. And so for me, cooking, I always say I love cooking and I hate making dinner. Like I love cooking. <laughs> Tell me more about I, that. Why do you, what do you mean by that? Are you kidding me? The pressure of having to make something and get it on the table every day. It's like, I will recipe test all day and come up with these really fun, creative biryanis and, you know, rasevale alu and, you know, this beautiful, but you didn't make rajma, mom. Today, I really wanted rajma. You didn't make rajma. I'm not gonna eat the biryani because it has too many sweet notes. I mean, I've created little monsters at home. It's just interesting. So the point is they still want, they want what they want. It doesn't matter how you navigate your day and how much you recipe test. Sometimes it really just boils down to what is their mood? Not to say that I give in to every mood, but at the same time, dinner is a different animal than it is to just sit leisurely in your kitchen and recipe test. You know, you have to get it done at a certain time. And I'm not the most scheduled or the most kind of hyper-focused on I'd rather, I, I'm a typical creative. I'd rather spend my time on my craft all day and then scramble at the last second and get what, you know, they want to actually eat on the table. And sometimes it uses, so that's amazing. Those days are just wonderful. But my point is that because the pressure is often on us, there was for me a level of really trying to disconnect my professionalism with my cooking because it was just such an expectation. Even when I was a reporter, okay, I'm working the weekend shift. I'm out of the house, but Anubi, what's for dinner? 
I'm in a live truck right now. I am not able to tell you what's for dinner. You're at home. You need to figure it out. And we can pretend that that doesn't happen because we're now in this age of everybody does everything, but it still often does happen. And it does often fall on our shoulders. So it took time for me to disassociate those expectations from wanting a career in food. Right? I had to really own what my career in food was going to look like because I didn't want to fall into that stereotypical sort of provider of food because I just happened to be the mom or I just happened to be the wife. So it took some time for me to mentally understand that my love of cooking could be a career and could also be separate from the in-laws expectations or the parental expectations, which is a huge source of, I'm a little bit of a, you know, renegade, right? I mean, I worked on Capitol Hill as my first job. I made $14,000 coming out of school. Can you imagine that argument and that conversation? So I always push back on the stereotypes. It, they drive me nuts. Yes. I, it, it's a box that I just, I don't like. And our generation even continues that conversation in terms of the expectation. They'll say one thing outside of the home. They say another thing when they come down to their home and they sit down at their table. So I yep. really worked on that for myself. And I will say that I'm glad that I overcame that internally because I think food is such an amazing way, pathway to teach your kids about their culture, to make them more secure in their roots, to really create an amazing environment for your family to come together. I think every Somebody wrote this on one of their Amazon reviews to one of my books, so I can't even take credit for it, but I use it again and again, is every child's legacy should be great. Every child's legacy should be great food, no matter where it's coming from in the mm. family. And it happened that it was me, and I'm so grateful for it. But it took a journey to be able to acknowledge and embrace that inner stereotype. I'm not going to lie. I mean, in mm -hmm. our house it's last right i mean it was always in growing up that's what i saw yeah. those are the visual right. images whether right or wrong. i we have to acknowledge it we have to accept it we can't shy away from it pretend that doesn't happen it does and it's okay too if we own it right yeah we own it man that's, that's so powerful i've never heard such metaphors for food it's like amazing so since we're talking about food and we have this kind of an aligned sort of mission here what uh, i know you've written three books previously, and this is the fourth one. Talk talk a little bit about the book that you're, uh, that's just been released, I believe it's already available on Amazon now, right? Yeah, so this book um, actually follows from my- So how do you book. combine the fact that it has to do with- it? No, no, Cause, no, uh, no. So the title of the book is-, is, is the, No, that it's, because uh, I was just searching for it while you're saying. So it's the, the Insta, Instapot cooking, right? IPI, trying to figure Instapot Indian cooking. Of course, your company is called Indian as Apple Pie. So right. you come up with all these titles in the past, the Indian slow cooker, the Indian for everyone, and the vegan Indian cooking. What is with Instant Pot? That's not a typical thing for Indian food, right? Okay, wait a minute. So do you know what an Instant Pot is? I'm going to flip the, the script on you right now. Okay. But yes. It's a pressure cooker. It's a pressure cooker. So yes. so yes, but that's so intuitive to us as desis, right? I mean, pressure cooking is everywhere but it's an electric pressure cooker. And thus it is changing the way we think about it in the West, which is what the crock pot did for dump up slow cooking was it's become electric <laughs> and 
thus, you know, like my mom raised us. She was one of the first in the country. I give her so much credit. She saw a crock pot and she said, why can't I make Indian food in it? And I always say to my mom, I'm like, you just always wanted to make your life a little easier by throwing everything into a crock pot and not worrying about it. She's like, listen, don't tell anyone my secret, but yes. And so that's part of it. It's just making it easier. And when you ask me why I write books like this, it's because I don't want anyone else to have to give up their day job to feed their families. Like take my book, give it to your husband, give it to your mother, give it to your mother-in-law, give it to your nanny, give it to your babysitter, let them make these amazing authentic Indian recipes without you having to give up your day job like I had to and felt that I needed to and I did. And so that's my goal is you're getting the food that your grandmother or mother made for you, but I'm testing it over. I, I test recipes 20, 25. I'm still constantly tweaking to get the taste profile. Mm. That to me is key because I'm from a Punjabi home and, you know, just dinner last night even was, oh, this is not as good as you normally make. I'm like, really? <laughs> really? <laughs> Come on. Is there a goal? Is there a standard now? Come on, guys. <laughs> What's up? <laughs> <laughs> I see. So it's funny when I did, yeah, no, no. So I did this, uh, I, somebody gave me an Instapart for Christmas gift about two, three, four years ago. And frankly, I couldn't deal with it. So I returned it because I said, I, I'm better off with my pressure cooker. What am I doing with this Instapot? So part of it is, you know, you go to any, I'm cooking for some people and, and go, do you have a pressure cooker at home? And they go, what is a pressure cooker? And it's just funny that, uh, an American household does not have the old pressure cooker, but amazing that you you know, the Instapot is basically a pressure cooker, but it's all programmed in time and you can put all in one. So I think it's a great, great idea. Uh, the question is, do you really think that it's any, you're testing it all the time. So you're able to get the same taste that you would otherwise do with your cooking in an Instapot. Yeah, and so that's what you're telling or telling yeah, people how to do. It, it took me a year to really get the standard of the taste profile exactly where I felt that it needed to be. And, and my kids are really the the best uh, testers for that because oh. they say it all the time. They said, mom, when you started, I hated the instant pot. And now because mm. I, I might've like ramped up the spice level, I might've ramped up the cook time, but I just want to clarify something too, because a lot of Indians ask me, Indian friends ask me because they know how to use a stovetop pressure cooker. So why should they get the instant pot? You may not need to because every recipe that's in my book for yeah. instant pot, you can make in the pressure cooker, but stovetop, I'll tell you, Roger, you're you're way ahead of me because when my mom first used the pressure cooker on the stovetop when I was young, it did have an explosion and we did get very nervous about using it. That's why we put it aside. And that's the fear factor of the stovetop versions. The Instant Pot is, it has, and, and there's many other electric pressure cookers out there. So don't get me wrong. It's not the only brand you can buy, but it has so many safety mechanisms in place. So it kind of makes it a little bit of a no-brainer. Yes. I will say though, why I think Instant Pot is an interesting, you know, appliance is that it also enables you to make, which you can make on the stovetop pressure cooker too, if you tweak, but a lot of different things like yogurt, probably my most success making yogurt came from making in the Instant Pot, making ghee, you can make, you know, all these other things. You can even do slow cooking in the Instant Pot as well. But the point is that it gives you, it's like a multi-cooker. You can do so many other things. Um, but I will say the stovetop pressure cookers cook at a higher heat slightly. So your yes. food actually gets done faster on the stovetop pressure cooker. And I write about that in my book as well. So don't feel that you're actually ahead of the curve. You're ahead of me. You should write the next 
stovetop pressure cooker Indian cookbook, <laughs> Rajiv. You and I are going to do that together. I will support you in that 120%, but Maybe. I'm staying away from pressure cookers they, they just awesome. <laughs> well that's awesome because i grew up with pressure cookers so i i have no qualms about about this but i you know i, I can only ask you about what the dinner conversations are like with your kids and, and your husband because i tend to get so self-critical that i want them to ra- rank my dishes you know how is that one how is that one this is like a normal d- dinner i'm not even talking about you know something where we had a, a party for 20 people. It's just simply a dinner at home. Well, you really want to know, you know, as you were saying, like somebody would criticize, like, hmm, where's the Rajma? I was not in the mood for that. And that's not as good as the last time. I mean, so I get this all the time. So is that typical in your household too? Because I get very defensive when it comes to food. Yeah, you know, I will say, I think that for me, I've had to thicken my skin to that so much. Mm. And what I I do is I, I observe right so oftentimes i think they withhold praise it's like this tactical thing that i think kids do with their parents they withhold they they withhold the praise and so i just watch to see how many helpings they get of anything and i watch to see you know and this is how too like people used to come to me when my kids were younger well how do we get them to eat healthy food. I said, well, and how do we get them to even try Indian? I said, listen, I said, the way I do it in my house is I withhold food from the children. I withhold it. Meaning here's your French fries. And this dish is just for me and your dad. It's not for you. And so it's a little bit of reverse psychology. And now if they hear this, they don't listen to any of my stuff. So there's no fear of them listening to this podcast, Raju, honestly. So they, they, this is one of the tactics. You just say, no, this is not for you. Oh, come on. Can I please have a bite? Uh, okay, just one though, just one. And then all of a sudden, oh my God, I really like this. Okay, well, I'm sorry, can't have any more. Oh, please, can I have a little more? So it doesn't always work out that way, but I've got to say that has worked for me with uh, my kids quite a bit. And and it works on husbands too, Raju, just FYI. It does sometimes sure. work on husbands as well. So, but, but generally speaking, <laughs> I do, I do feel a little bit like, you know, oh, wow, it wasn't so good, but I've got enough friends who uh, don't eat Indian food every day that love my food. And so when I, I really need some good feedback from like a general audience, I will, I I give away so much food to them and I always get some good, you know, usually do get some good feedback on all of that, but you got to be open to it. It's okay. But it is, you know, it's, it's a creative thing where we get a little bit sensitive to to our craft, right? Being criticized. Yeah. Oh God, yes. So yeah, that's a good strategy. Just, just you know, have other people, the general audience, come, you know, enjoy your food. So um, I'm going to switch gears a little bit because I know you talking talked about the the inner renegade you have and your when you had your own discoveries about where you wanted to be and, and how you wanted to, to be an entrepreneur and be you know have a career and be able to be home. So you have to be conscious. You know, my podcast is called Bold Conscious Connections. The idea being that. We're all in some ways connected to the divine, but we have certain something unique with that, that we've been gifted with. And so, you know, you're an example of how you're expressing your gifts in, in parenting or uh, being a wife or being a cook and all of these things. So what practices do you have that allow you to keep that connection within you? So the consciousness aspect of it. Yeah. And I think it's such a great question and your podcast is so needed. I I do think that um, there's quite a few things that I do. I'm a, a real stickler for early mornings. I'm generally up 
between 5 a.m. and 6, and lately it's been a little bit later. I want to get it back to 5 a.m., but really hyper-focused on athleticism. So I've always been, I've always had this inner athlete in me. I uh, have played tennis. I am a surfer. I used to live in Hawaii. I'm a surfer. I used to dance in Hawaii. So, and I work out. I love to work out. So that to me, giving to myself first and really having a very strong workout regimen Mm-hmm. It's so critical and so important to be grounded. And it is something that I do every day. I don't take breaks. For me, the break is, is working out. Like I don't need a break from movement. I, I need some sort of movement. And so I've stacked that from a really hardcore hour workout, added to that 15 minutes of yoga, added to that now meditation, but really just starting at two minutes of meditation. And I was joking that the other day, my husband said, you know, uh, are you almost done? And he was just sitting there standing next to me, tapping his foot and I'm meditating. And I said, okay, today will be a one minute meditation. Day. Um, so that's really important to me. Um, and I will say too, another thing that's very critical is no electronics or phone before noon. I just don't look at, I used to, and it's been an evolving process because, and I don't watch television anymore, frankly, because there's too much craziness out there. And it's ironic because I'm a former news reporter. So I felt like, you know, for quite a while that news was so critical to me, but it's not my job anymore. And what I'm finding is when I'm not focused on my craft and I'm listening to all sorts of other inputs, constantly vying for my time. I'm not focusing on the thing that I really need to do, which is the art of recipe testing, the art of, you know, as as uh, Cal Newport talks about the art of deep work and really focusing on not responding to emails constantly. And I think that in your corporate world, that is a conversation that I think is really critical is how deeply you get into the task that really moves the needle for who you are and what you are. Is it a meeting that lasts two hours that moves that needle or is it taking those two hours and really hyper-focusing on something that's really critical and important to your work? And I can't make that judgment for anybody, but I will tell you I am happiest at the end of my day when I have really even tweaked a recipe, made it one more time or, you know, written it up or really focused on the real core work that I do. And so that's how I've been focused and how I, I've always been a very spiritual person. And and I'll tell you, I can tell you why um, as well. Like I've had a few very uh, crazy medical issues and happy to talk about that too. But it kind of regrounds you, you know, when you go through very difficult periods, especially medically to say, don't just appreciate your day that you've been given, grab onto it tightly and squeeze, you know, every amazing thing out of it um, because you're not guaranteed the day. And I wasn't always doing that. So I don't want anyone to think that somehow I feel like, you know, I'm there, I'm, I'm learning and going through this process, but this year and last year for me, have been a real kind of awakening point of just putting the unnecessary distractions aside and really being able to focus. When I are having this conversation, I'm not looking at my phone. I don't want to be distracted. When I focus in on you, when I go meet someone for dinner, I don't want to pull that phone out. I don't want, and I don't want them to do that. 
when we're having these conversations. I, I've always yes. been an early proponent of put the phones away. You know, my kids are, have grown up with that. They've mm -hmm. learned how to have conversations with adults, with people without their phones. So I think that to me is like the biggest, most important thing is use technology for how it can move you further. Uh, but if you're using it as a crutch, which I've been doing, not going to work. You're going to be unhappy mm -hmm. and then you agitated, more anxious, all of it. So I love what you said that, you know, it's about focusing on needle moving. And a lot of people get lost in what is needle moving to me today, because it may be the, the TV or the news or whatever it may be, right, that you're gravitating to. But truly, if it's not going to move the needle in your, in your life, just try a way to just stop it. <laughs> that's that's so, so important. Really, the things we need to stop doing is so much more important than the things maybe we need to start doing, maybe meditate and do all these things, which are all important too. But you just don't have, if you don't have an accounting for your day, you, you cannot manage what you cannot measure. So it's super important what you just said there. And of course, as I said earlier, traumas and other challenges in our life is what teach us the most. So when you have something that happens to you or your loved one, that's when you start to you know, realize now I got to hold on to it tightly because life is trying to teach me something. So the other word is bold. Uh, I always believe that a journey of leadership or entrepreneurship or whatever career people are pursuing is a spiritual journey by itself, which is why it's a journey and not the destination. And it requires one to be really bold and um and you've clearly demonstrated that in different ways but what does bold mean to you just the word bold what does it mean to you and why is it important in your work today well i think if i was answering this question five eight ten years ago i would say bold would be the loudest in a room meaning speaking more contributing more all of it and i've actually changed my perspective to me bold means the ability to be quiet and know that i have value to add but not feel that i have to fill a space with talking um and i think that comes from a process of just doing more. I often go to quite a few events with my spouse and he's a consultant and thus many folks, you know, don't really, I'm the plus one, right? So they don't really ask too much about what I do or they assume. And I'll tell you, I'll answer your question in a different way. Early on, before I was writing the books, before I pitched the first book, I would go to events and people would say, well, what do you do? I said, well, I take care of my kids. I would just test the market, right? I always love to see, I'm an observer. I love to see how people react. I'm a housewife. I, I, I hang out with my kids all day. And then all of a sudden you see that the conversation stops. I'd been a reporter. I could say I'm a reporter, but I didn't because I wasn't reporting at the time. So I always love to see if folks can take it to the next level because people don't all often ask the follow-up question. And for me, when someone says, oh, I'm at home with the kids, I'm like, oh, well, tell me what drives you. I always love just as a reporter, I love asking more questions and getting and digging deep. So, but then I'll test it and I'll go to another group and I'll, they'll say, what do you do? I'm a writer. And all of a sudden, what? I've got value to add to the conversation. And you see, you know, the men in the room, they stop and they take notice. So I just always just like to kind of play around to see, you know, how is my response? Like it dictates sometimes how that other person responds to me. And I always like to see, I test them to see, are you going to take it deeper by asking the follow-up question? And if you're not, I'm not going to add it in because I'm not doing the work for you. So right. it's right. a learning experience. It's the same thing with food. So when I offer samples at many, you know, Whole Foods where our product is sold, you know, they'll say, so why should I like, I, I don't like Indian. 
I'm like, okay, that's fine. Mm. <laughs> and they'll, well, no, don't you want us to try? I'm like, no, <laughs> not really. And then they'll say, well, okay, maybe I will. <laughs> okay. Um, and then all of a sudden, like, this is really good. I'm like, exactly. You're going to come. I'm going to let you come to me. I'm not going to be in your face. And to me, that's bold. That's bold. That's really secure. Mm. It took a long time to get there. And that's okay, too. That's great. Man, I didn't think about it that way because we, we define it in my, in my book. We say the way we define bold is, well, it's you've got ambition. Uh, well, generally the word bold is courage. But okay, so we, we say ambition, decisiveness, completely convinced or convicted of whatever you believe in. And then the two other ones that are not quite typical are heart-centered. You lead from the heart not from your head and humble, which means that this isn't about, this isn't about you. It's just about, you are just a, an instrument to bring, bring that to the, to the forefront, whatever it is you're pursuing. So I might add just your other word to this, that you really, you know, let people come to you and attract rather than you pushing whatever it is that you want to do, because that's being bold. Absolutely. Only comes from experience, right? I mean, if you're going to say I'm a new graduate of college and I want to have that in this new job, that may not actually happen. As a reporter, it took me years to get to the point where I could be the quietest person in the room and still contribute in my head, right? It took time because it takes experience. So I think that, and also probably that boldness is also in the ability to let other people shine. It's okay if someone else is on stage and getting an award. It's great. That's phenomenal. It doesn't have to Beautiful. always be us. Why? Why does it always have to be me? And I yeah. have to. And you're celebrating other success. Yeah, it's it's yeah. great. It's all good. Um, but so but it's also the other side of consciousness. If you're not yeah. conscious, you're not likely to be bold either, right? That's right. It's constantly tapping in to that. Why? Why did I say that so quickly? And I'm always talking to myself. You know, why did I feel the need to blurt that I write? I have four books. Well, I was feeling insecure because that person said they had 10 books. I mean, I'm making it up. But my point is there's so much chatter, especially in our community. And this is why I think we need to speak to our community more about this. There's so much chatter about, and this is something I wanted to bring up. So I'm just going to go ahead and just dive into it. But the, the words Please. we use, the words we use are important. He's a top entrepreneur. She's a top, you know, doctor. They went to a top school. They're the best in their profession. It is so common. I'm so sick of it in our community, especially. What does that mean? They live in a big house. And I asked somebody in my family that once. I said, did you go and measure their house? Did you go and measure their house? They live in a huge house. Really? Well, you're telling everyone now that same thing. You're repeating it. Why can't they just live in a home, a beautiful home? Why do we have to think about a big, small, medium, whatever it is? It is what it is. It doesn't bother me. I don't care how large your house is. I'm happy for you. But the point is, that's a top professor. Also, the person who's not producing as many papers in a year, they're not top. It's interesting. So we have to catch ourselves. And I, and I catch myself too every day. Because the thing is, if you're not the top, then you're the worst. What does that mean? The top to me means there's one person allowed there. What does all of the other stuff mean? Because I'm not that one person. I just don't want to be. It's just too much pressure. So I think we have to kind of think about how we use the words, but also how do we speak to our children, especially with our cultural background. I think coming from a country, this is my, and I'm going to test this out. This isn't based on a lot of studies or anything, but I mean, 
you had to be the top to be able to come out of India where you have a population that is so large. You had to be thought of as there was just constant competition. So I know where it comes from. I understand that, but I think we have to be more conscious of how we're using these words, especially for the next generation, because there's so many pressures and so much mental pressure on our kids. We have to really just let that go a touch or be more conscious of how we're using our words with them, especially. Yes, that is, this is a powerful message just here right now, guys, if you're still listening, listening to this conversation with Anubi. It's so important that, you know, when you start stealing your life because of comparisons, because you're stealing your life by saying you are compared to that one. You know, the fact that you're unique and you're capable of whatever you want to do, because unless you do it because of the way you want to do what you want to do, it, you're always going to be feeling inferior, regardless of the homes and the cars and how big or small these things are, right? I, I totally get it. And I think we've been all sort of party to these things, maybe participated in ways that maybe in, in, on reflection is, is not good or bad. It's just that, yeah, now it's time to be more aware and, and change. And and with the last few years' events, it's even mental health is a really real big obviously a big issue. And these things only proliferate and uh, make things worse for our children and our generations coming up. All right. So since you're, you're a leader in your own right, what have been just one or two greatest leadership lessons that you've learned thus far? I know it's a journey, but thus far. I'll tell you, I am very proud to say that I am a Hindu. We were raised in a Hindu home. I am more spiritual than I would say that I'm religious. I am all about practicing what you preach. I am not a fan of saying one thing and doing another. So you'll see this too in my journey. Eating and in the food space can be very political. I have been more of a plant-based eater probably for 40 years, probably, you know, well before it was fashionable. Oh. Um, just because it made me feel better. But I am honest that I don't always eat plant-based 120% of my days. And I really don't lead with that when I speak to people about food. So I've actually declined interviews with um, large plant-based or vegan magazines because if I eat yogurt and I go on a on the cover of a vegan magazine, I feel like that's sending the wrong messaging. I think there's too much of saying that you're one thing, but you're something else at home. My platform is telling you as much truth as I can tell you without everyone in my home being upset with me because I've, I've walked that path as well because you have to really separate you know, your, your outward life and your inward. But at the same time, you will not hear from me that I'm doing one thing and advocating one thing and doing another. I just can't live like that. I feel like there's too much of that, everything. So politics especially, I will say, I see politicians, they say one thing on policy, they do another at home on both ends. That doesn't work for me. I have worked on the Hill. I've worked in politics. You can be truthful and you can be honest and you can walk that path. And I think for me, I lead, for me, the most important thing is respect of character. And so I want people to respect me. And if I've also misspoken, we're not perfect. We're going to come up again and say, I, I'm sorry. We're going to move on and we're going to grow from it. So that's what I think is so fascinating about our culture is that we are going back and looking at what people have done 25, 30 years ago and holding it against them now. But the interesting thing is, I hope that I'm not the same person that I was 25 years ago. Like you hope because change is the most 
important thing. I mean, <laughs> I hope I've learned something in this journey. So you're telling me that I shouldn't have, and I shouldn't have grown. It's just so fascinating. Like, so I, and the other thing I will say too, is I just don't live my life on social media. I, I just see social media as one more arm of, you know, it's a social platform, but it's still not completely truthful. Like you see so many people that are posting and I know them personally and they're not that happy every day. Let me just be honest. Like they're just not. So why are we, why are we continuing the myth and why are we even believing in it? Like, it's just so silly. We're hurting ourselves. So that's, the thing, I just don't post that much about my personal day-to-day -day stuff. If I get something, I don't feel the need to talk about it constantly. It's just really creating those lines, those divisions, and also really relying for me on day-to-day -day connections. So when I have a conversation with somebody, that's so much more valuable to me, a uh, Facebook thread or whatever it might be. And that's what I try to encourage my kids, meet your friends in person. Don't rely on text or social media to fill that void. It's never going to. It's just not going to. All right, guys, leaders, be out there. Know that you have to be truthful and true to what you say and, and live that life, not be pretentious and set boundaries for yourself. What would you, what advice would you give to anybody, a leader in transition, someone who's trying to navigate today's uncertainties of life? Because these, these are a little unusual for, for, for many, many that who've lived a long life. This is unusual where we are today. It is unusual. I will say one of the lessons that I like to just think about and I, and I write down in my notebook every day is listen more, mm -hmm. like just stop talking at some point, just stop talking in a conversation and listen. And I don't always do that, you know, as well as I would like but I am really trying when I meet someone, it's not, and we've been trained a little bit on this. I feel like it's not about just getting what you want out of it, right? How your mind's going to, how can I make that connection? I'm, I'm meeting the head of XYZ company. How can I make myself look good in their eyes? How can I, but you know what? Maybe what you just do is ask them how their day's going and listen, and you've made a human connection with this person. That happened to me this week. I met someone who's a head of a company that I've been wanting to connect with. And we just had a conversation around food, even what can I get? I didn't go there. And that was a little different because normally I would say, okay, networking time, networking. No, nope. I just wanted to hear how he felt about, you know, the, about Indian food and what his thoughts were. And we had this whole conversation. It's just a great memorable moment. And maybe it'll lead to something, maybe it will not. But the point is you made a connection that was a little bit different than getting in their face and talk, talk, talking. And the other thing, Roger, I'm going to say too, is I will say, especially for our community, learn the art of networking. I cannot tell you how many people will call me and reach out and say, you know, how do I, how do I become you? Meaning like, how do I write a book? How do I, you know, produce this? How do I do this? And I, and I say, well, you don't want to be me. You want to be you. And so let's ask the question a little bit differently and let's think about it a little bit differently. And then also, you know, I, I talked to so many people. I mean, you and I stayed connected, but they don't follow up with a thank you. It's a really simple thing mm -hmm. and follow up with a thank you like that. That that's wonderful. Someone took a few minutes out of their day, let them know how you're doing. Those kind of basic little things are never going to change regardless of pandemic, not social media, not those relationships and building the relationships. The rules are similar is just make people feel good. Listen to them and do the little follow up. Yeah. I mean, God, that's amazing. Cause 
you know, a lot, lot of, you know, people are always prepared to say the next thing because they want to impress somebody or they say, well, she's just went to Italy. And so let me tell you my Italy experience rather than listening to your Italy experience, right? And then maybe at some point you talk about yours. So yeah, it's just, uh, it is listening more. So you can, you know, whatever your fears are of, of the uncertainty that's around us today in different ways. Well, the more, more relationships you build and maintain and, and sustain and nurture, those are the ones that are going to help you to get ahead as well. Okay. One last question, you know, learning wisdom, all this comes from listening to one another. So I don't take anything for granted the, your time that you've spent here today. I've learned a lot from you clearly as I'm listening to this and make, making notes, learning never stops. And it's a co-creative process as we know. So I also want to make sure our audience who also don't take anything for granted. And so I appreciate your presence here and I thank you for that. But in that context, what discoveries might you have made about yourself or otherwise in this conversation, in that vein? You know, I think that, so the listeners won't know this, but we tried to do this the other day and it didn't work because just conflicts in the house. My daughter was sick. I got on the phone late. I made you wait. I don't like to do that. There were just so many ups and downs and we could have honestly taken the conversation or, or just said, you know what, let's not do this. Like you could have said, that's Anupi's sign of she's not interested in speaking with me. I could have been just embarrassed and not really responded to you. Um, I think mm -hmm. the key is I've learned just to be a little bit softer with people. And I just appreciated that you understood. You didn't hold it against me. I've learned to be softer with people. If they miss a phone call, you know, that may not be a sign of bigger things that are negative. Like it's okay. We all do. Now, if it's a consistent pattern, that's something else, but maybe then you have a conversation with them. You hear what's going on with them. I cannot tell you how much that has served me in the sense that if say, for example, a buyer, I'll use a real life example, a buyer at a grocery store says, Anupi, I don't want your product on my shelf. It's not going to sell. Okay. I could take it very personally and not go back. Instead, I go back a month later and say, I know you said this. I just want to let you know, I really appreciated you giving me feedback. And we have this other product. Do you know how many times that has actually meant that my product gets on the, on the shelf? Mm -hmm. it's fascinating to me. Just giving that other person the grace to just say, it's okay. You had a tough day. Let's still be friends and it's okay. Yep. So to me, that's the most important thing that I've learned in this conversation with you and meeting you is um, you have a lot of just um, graceful energy around you. And I really appreciate that because I needed that this week. It was kind of a rough week work-wise <laughs> with my daughter. And well, I hope your daughter is okay, first of all. Is she okay? She is better. She is better, but she had a whole slew of exams that, you know, were, were complicated to reschedule so that, but that's the thing is you don't know that. and. I don't know that until I explain it and you won't know that unless you're willing to hear it. Right. So there's all of it. Well, you're graceful. I think you're, if you're seeing my grace, it's only I'm reflecting who you are. So I really appreciate you. And I really thank you for, for being here. Uh, lastly, before we sign off, uh, of course, where people can reach you and how can they reach you? Certainly get your book. All of those links will be in, in the, in the show notes. Is there something you want to say about, if you want to be reached and what, what, what are the last words you want to leave with the audience? Yeah, I will say if you want to reach me, my website is indianazapapai.com. And I will just make a general um, push. And Roger, you have a book too. You know, 
we authors, you don't make a ton of money on books. Very few authors do. So, and I hear this in our community all the time. Anupi, I really want to test a recipe from your book. What should I do? I'm like, buy the book. But like, doesn't that make sense? Buy the book. It's 20 bucks. Buy the, buy the darn book. And so buy Roger's book. Don't just buy my book. Buy other people's books. And you know what you do then after that? You take a look at the book and you put a real honest review on the book. Because that's what drives the algorithm on Amazon and whatnot and all of it. It's important. So we put our blood, sweat, and tears into this. Just buy the book. And I, again, it's not a plug for my book. I won't even like talk about that anymore. I'm just saying all your favorite authors. It's so key. And please support them out there. And it's funny because my husband told me, he's like, okay, I'm going to have to build a separate cookbook closet. We did that because I buy all my friends' books. I don't care if I don't look at that cookbook. I just want to support them. Whatever royalty, that buck a book they get or two bucks. So that's what I want to encourage everyone. No, it's just a buck a book or something really silly and ridiculous. But yes, it isn't, isn't it sad that, you know, only, only a hundred or 200 books of a given book ever gets sold at Barnes and Noble or, or Amazon or whatever, because it's just, there's so much wisdom that somebody puts their heart and soul into researching and putting something out and is just, it's just crazy, but it is how it is. So it is, but we can change the tide a touch by supporting yes. our authors and not just looking for online free stuff. I cannot tell you how many people say, can I have a free book? I'm like, nope, nope, not if you ask, but if you don't ask, I might just do it. <laughs> Buy the book. Well, I think you're right. It's about this community. Our community is, is particularly, um, you know, how many times have you heard that? Oh, congratulations on your book. So when am I getting a signed copy? You know what that means. It's like, they're not going to buy it. So can I, do we have a moment where I can just add one more anecdote? Absolutely. Please. Okay. okay. Um, so I was in a meeting in LA. Uh, I'm pitching a cooking show and this was some time back and it was a lead ad agency. And one of the guys at the table was this young Indian guy. And they asked me, no, they said, why is it when we do like a cooking show or we do books or whatever it is, the Indian community does not show up. Like I don't, we don't see the sales, right? And mm-hmm. what I said was it's value. It's perception of value, perceived value, right? So you can sit and you'll have, you know, three Mercedes in your driveway. Let's be, let's be clear and let's be honest and straightforward on it. Okay. You can have a Porsche, you have a Mercedes, you have a whatever. You have a big home, you have this, you'll spend your money on the latest Langa outfit from designer, whatever, from Delhi and Mumbai, whatever it is, but you won't buy your friend's book for $20. It's perceived value, right? So we just don't, we think we can look up that information. We think we might know better. We think whatever it is, you, you look, see my products at Whole Foods. You're like, oh, the China Masala, I'll go buy it somewhere else for X amount, but you never get around to buying it because the store is too far away and you never make the dish. So we have to probably help people change that perception, perceived value in our community. We have to value our creatives as much as we value folks in the hard sciences because we're all important and we all add something to the conversation. And the only way we're going to showcase and really showcase how supportive we are of our creatives is not just by supporting monetarily, but it's by showing up. I cannot tell you how many book signings I have. The Indian community doesn't always show up. Show up, folks. You see somebody doing an event, just show up. There's so much value in it. And it really, folks in in our community that 
supported me through the years. That's what I remember the most. And they're the people that I truly work for the most is that folks that support you. Right. And you show the support, not just by the words, it's by the actions as well. It's always by actions. And I believe that so, so deeply because this is, this is the work that it takes because you just don't know what people go through to get to where they are. But yeah, we're always looking at the, the shiny object of who's already become the number one. And then we go back and figure out, well, where do they go? Where did they come from? And we want to know their history, but it's just like, you're really missing the point. So yes, very, very important. And you've given me some ideas now to focus on my podcast episodes on our, our Indian folks. And I haven't had too many of those, but, and it's important. Sounds like that's a good idea. All right. Well, thank you so much, Anupi. And guys, go get this book, not just because, you know, you're supporting her, but also there is some incredible, you know, quick tips for you to make meals, delicious meals within a short time. So I'm going to certainly buy that book right now as we speak. All right. Thank you so much, Anupi. Thanks thank for being you. here. Thank you. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much. I really hope you enjoyed this episode today. We strive to bring you conversations that make you think, reflect, and perhaps inspire you to take even one little step in your path towards personal growth and greater wisdom. Please download the show or the podcast episode that you just heard and leave us a comment so that we can continue to bring you meaningful and relevant topics in the future. Take care and thank you so much.